I hope you guys have all had a great week. I've had a great week, but um, I thought I would open by sharing with you a little story. We had, in the Winnell family, we had a meltdown this past week for a little while. Uh, we have uh, Dawson, our eight-year-old son. It was, uh, oh, he's seven? Oh, he's Oh boy, that's bad. <laughs> He's eight next month. All right, eight a week, a month from today on June sixth. Okay, so um, anyway, on with my story. Uh, I didn't realize this, but um, uh, during the month of April, he had decided that he was going to pray, God. I want to grow one inch this month. Okay, so May 1st rolls around, and uh, he measures himself, and he didn't grow an inch. And so at the end of the month, he is really, uh, new month, he's really frustrated. And I come into his bedroom one night, and he's having a meltdown. And it's past his bedtime, so I'll give him, the, the emotional fortitude is long gone, but there is nothing that's going to cheer him up at this moment. And I tell him, I try to explain, Dawson, with, with prayer, we have to be patient, we have to persevere, that we have to wait upon the Lord, but this is not what he wants to hear. None of this is helping at this moment. But I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? My prayers are maybe a little different than my seven-year-olds. I'll get the age right this time. My seven-year-olds. But how often do we struggle to uh, be patient in our prayers as well? You know, we live in a very fast-paced society in which everything moves very quickly. We like fast cars. We always want all the information that we have right at the, the uh, palm of our fingers or at, at the t- touch of our fingers on our phones or whatever. And all of this leads to impatience, and we have a hard time waiting for things. And I think this affects our relationship with the Lord as well. When I pray for people in the church that are sick or those that I long to see their relationships reconciled, or when we pray for ministries of the church or someone to get a job or to have direction in their life. And all of these things, we want it instantaneously. We want it now. And so when I began to study this passage that we're going to look at this morning, it was not an easy passage to, uh, to prepare for. Because we have this morning, we're going through the book of Acts, We have 15 verses of waiting. That is all that basically takes place in the passage that we are going to look at this morning. Now, last week we had an exciting passage. Jesus is talking about the the disciples will receive a baptism of the Spirit. And Pastor Steve preached on this, and it was awesome. And we hear about, and then we see Jesus ascending into heaven, and and the angels come and appear. And we're like, now this is good stuff. And I look forward to next week's message when we talk about Pentecost and the power that comes with the Spirit. And I was so tempted when I first read this passage, I like, ah, skip over this one. There's nothing really that happens of significance, at least at, it doesn't appear that way at first. They, what, the only action that will be taken 
is they will find a replacement for Judas among the apostles. And the guy's name is Matthias. And he's never mentioned again in the rest of the Bible. Seems so insignificant. But because we're going through this, I didn't have the option of just skipping it. And I'm glad we didn't because actually the more I have studied this, I think there's some really good lessons here for us. The passage is Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And it's all about learning to wait on the Lord and the benefits of that. Let's look at this passage together. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. There's a pew Bible in front of you if you need a Bible. Take that home if you don't have a Bible. We want everyone to have God's Word. The words will be on the screen as well. But this is Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. A Sabbath day journey in that, in the Jewish tradition, that's about two-thirds of a mile. And so they, they make their way into Jerusalem. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Eleven names there. We know there's twelve disciples. Obviously, Judas Iscariot is not mentioned. He has left their midst, as we'll see here in a minute. But... Eleven disciples, and then along with them, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Jesus stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, and we know sisters are there too, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who had become a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the rewards of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which means field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his, off, take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during the, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and among us, in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take, the place, to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's take a minute and just ask that God would speak to us and help us in this sermon. 
Father God, now as we have turned to your word, we pray that you would bring insight into these verses. We trust that you, by your Spirit, are our teacher and that you have something here for us. And so, God, we, tur- we ask that you would help us to turn our hearts and our minds to you, that we would give you our full attention and that you would re- give to us what you would have for us today. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ten days, of describing our, uh, ten days of waiting are described in this story. Ten days between Jesus' ascension, ascension until the day of Pentecost. And the disciples and some others were told that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there and his brothers. And all together there's 120 people. And they're there in the upper room in Jerusalem. And they're just waiting. Nothing really to do. No agenda to talk about, no ministry to attend to. They're just there in that upper room, and they're there simply because Jesus told them to be there. In Acts 1-4, we are told that Jesus told his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this, as we said, this is what uh, Pastor Steve preached on last week. And so this is what they're doing. 120 of them in this room, and they're there just because they want to obey the Lord Jesus. They don't know how long they're going to be there. Could be a lot longer than 10 days as far as they know. But there they are being obedient. And what they don't know is that God is doing a work in their heart that they might not even realize at the time. My mentor, used to, uh, Dallas Willard, used to call this the divine conspiracy. Just covertly, God's doing this work in their hearts. And so I want to point out four things from this passage that I think are so crucial for us. These are all what we can call lessons for waiting upon the Lord. And the first is this, that when we wait upon Him, God forms in us character that is priceless to Him. When we wait upon Him, God forms in us character that is priceless to Him. You see, as these disciples are waiting there, they're learning some really important lessons They're learning to trust in God. They're learning to be led by Him. They're learning to not rely upon themselves, but to rely on the Lord. And this is the way that God oftentimes uh, strategically forms people's character. If we go throughout the Bible, there's so many examples of when people wait upon the Lord, how God prepares their hearts to do what He longs to do through them. An obvious example The Israelites wandered through the wilderness for 40 years before they were ready to enter into the promised land. They had to learn a lesson. At first, they weren't prepared. They thought the the people that inhabited the promised land were too big and strong. They had to go through this and learn to wait. Jesus didn't start his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. Paul, who was converted, spent three years with the apostles before they before he began to preach. This is oftentimes what God does. He causes us to wait. And whether we realize it or not, when we wait on him, he's forming our character so that we have a character that is priceless to him, that can be used by him. A few weeks ago, we had a staff retreat. And on the staff retreat, we 
uh, all of our staff, we kind of shared our life stories. We did it through what we called a, a life map. And we'd, through that, we'd highlight the high points in our life and the low points in our life. It's oftentimes in the highs and the lows we can see God working. And when we did that, it became so apparent that oftentimes when we go through the really long, hard periods of when we are forced to wait upon the Lord and we continue to pray, God help us, it's only in hindsight that we recognize that is when God was really working in my heart. That's when he was forming my character and when, he, and when he's uh, changing us into who he wants us to be. It is in these times of waiting in our lives that our lives are forged to be stronger, like a metal is forged by the refiner's fire. That's the image that, that, Mike, that Malachi uses. For he, God, is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like silver and gold and he will bring and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord is that not what you want for your own life to be refined by God so that your life is an offering of righteousness to God that he can get rid of all that nasty junk that is in your life and you can be made pure and holy before him Well, the process is to learn to wait upon the Lord. Now, sometimes those are unintentional. Like we said, kind of like those low points where we don't choose that. God takes us through periods where we have a long time trying to find work or going through an illness or something. And these are difficult times, but sometimes it is then intentional that we learn to wait upon the Lord. And we learn what it looks like to be in His presence. And God uses these things to shape our character to be used by Him. I sometimes think when we read the Bible, we look at these individuals that are listed here and and then the others that are not listed by name, but we think, man, it would have been so great to live in the time of Acts. And to be one of those disciples and to see all these things. I think it's good for us to pause and remember once in a while. These are not superhuman, out-of-this-world saints that are just way above where we could ever get to. When Jesus came and called the disciples, none of them had any ministry training per se. None of them have anything spectacular about themselves that Jesus would call them. I mean, he was calling regular people. Matthew was a tax collector. We know several of them were fishermen. The person that writes this passage is a, is a doctor. Luke is a physician. And I'd have to imagine that within that upper room of 120 people, we could easily have been one of them. Teachers and lawyers and office administrators and day laborers and all of these things. And the thing is, God uses these ordinary people When they learn to wait upon the Lord, He uses them in spectacular ways. And that is the promise for us as well. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're here and you're looking for work. Or maybe you're retired and you're done with your work. And whatever we are at, wherever we are at, the thing is God can use us in just as spectacular ways. But the first thing we must learn is how to wait upon Him. 
And so let's flesh this out a little bit more. How are we going to be experts in waiting upon the Lord? Well, there's two kinds of waiting. There is passive waiting and there is active waiting. Passive waiting is what you do when you're trying to kill time. We look at our phones, we veg out in front of the TV, we play board games, but we don't see the disciples here, you know, binge-watching a Netflix show or playing Monopoly or Parcheesi with one another. Uh, Obviously, these are not culturally relevant, but you understand what I'm saying. They're not passively waiting. They're actively waiting. We see them doing things. If passive waiting is what we're trying to do when we kill time, then active waiting is what we are trying to do when we are killing our own self-reliance. That's what Pastor Steve talked about last week. Killing our own self-reliance so that we are dependent upon the Lord. And so maybe here is a definition of active waiting. Active waiting is what we do when we seek to let God be in control. Now that sounds very simple. That sounds basically like this is all of the Christian walk, right? Well, it is, but it's easier said than done. Active waiting is what we do when we seek to let God be in control. Peter and these other and the rest of the 120 are in this upper room and they don't come with any agenda. But as they come uh, and they're in this position of letting God be in control of their lives as they're seeking to obey Him, Peter, after a while, it says after some days, he had one of these aha moments in which he is able to stand and he says, you know what, this is what we should do. We should appoint someone to replace Judas. I don't think he went into the upper room thinking that's what they needed to do. But it says that as they were together, uh, Peter was led by the Lord, and this is what they did. And from our perspective, it doesn't seem super significant. But it is significant because they are learning to rely upon Him. And the same thing must be true in our lives. To let God have control of our lives. To let God have control of our church. So that when we make decisions... It should be because we have waited upon the Lord and He has led us. Now, as we said, they are actively waiting. In other words, they're doing stuff. They're not just playing parcheesi. They're active. And the two activities that they're doing, two foundational activities for active waiting, one is prayer and two is reading the Bible. The first thing we see in this passage is they devote themselves to prayer. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoting themselves to prayer. It's kind of like what the emphasis that we have had as a church, to be a church of fervent prayer, to devote ourselves to prayer. And this is what we see throughout the book of Acts that the church is doing. Constantly devoting themselves to prayer. In fact, before every time there is an outpouring of the Spirit, There is a season of prayer. And that's so good for us to remember in our lives and in our church. If we want to see God work in our lives, and we want to see an outpouring of of the Spirit in our church, then it is always preceded by a season of prayer. Pastor Steve had a quote at the concert of prayer that I really liked. He said, if you want to see how popular a church is, go to their Sunday morning worship service. If you want to see how popular the preacher is, 
Go to their Sunday night Bible study. And if you want to see how popular their God is, go to their prayer meeting. You see, we don't have a Sunday night Bible study, so I don't have to worry about how popular I am. Woo! You know, don't worry about that one. But if we want, us, if we want God to be popular in this place, then we must put an emphasis on prayer that we would come together to pray and that, we would, that when we gather for our concert of prayer that the, that the sanctuary would be full. When we meet together on Sunday morning to pray for our, for our worship service, 8.45 every Sunday, room two, that it, would be, that it would be full of people because we want God to be popular. We want God to be known and to be glorified. And it is always preceded that that type of power comes from the Lord when we have devoted ourselves to prayer. May we be a church of fervent prayer. That is the first foundational activity of active waiting. I'll just say both of these activities, they are so easy to kind of push to the side. As I said, we live in a very fast-paced world. You know what the first things that usually get pushed aside in our lives Prayer and the reading of God's Word. That's the second thing, the reading of God's Word. Verse, eight, verse 16, Peter said, Brothers, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. And then he goes on to quote two verses, Psalm 169.25 and Psalm 109, verse 8. And I went back just out of curiosity and I read these passages uh, out of the Psalms. And it was hard for me to see how Peter saw Judas in those passages. And I really wrestled with this. I said, now God, is Peter taking this out of context? And actually, I don't think he was. This is how God teaches us to read the Scriptures. We read the Bible and we ask, what's the original author and what's the original audience understand this passage to say? And then we turn to the Holy Spirit and we say, God, what do you want to say from us? And that is the spectacular power of God's Word. If you don't know how powerful this word is, I invite you to take it home and to read it. And after you read it, ask God to say, what is it that you're trying to say to me through this? And if we wait upon the Lord in that posture before our Bibles open, God speaks to us. That is, it is the only book in the whole world that you can do that with. It is God's inspired word that has power, that has relevance not only 2,000 years ago or whatever it was written, but it has just as much relevance in 2018 in our contemporary lives. God's Word has power, and we ought to learn to wait before it. This is what, they are, this is what we see the early church doing. At our concert of prayer on Wednesday night, we gathered up into small groups, and uh, we shared verses. Uh, what was the Lord speaking to us about? And in my group, we met right over here in the middle right on this side. And one of the people that shared, Eiko Yasutaki, shared a verse I had never heard before. I'm sure I'd heard it, but I didn't, I'd never, it had never registered in my mind. Psalm uh, 25, 21. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. And she shared that and she said, you know what, I think the Lord is calling us to be a church of integrity and uprightness and to put our hope in God. And I read that, and I'm like, that's right. And the Lord spoke to us. This is, this is, and we prayed for these things, and this is how God works. 
Now, I think that the early church had to spend 10 days in this posture of waiting for the Lord before they were ready to uh, receive the baptism of the Spirit. And the reason they had to spend a good amount of time was because they, that they needed that to sink in. And from my perspective, they got it. Because they never stop doing these things. These are the foundational activities that will characterize the church throughout the whole book of Acts. As we continue to uh, study this, we will always see, whenever there is a summary of the church, these are the things that are present. For example, Acts 2.42. Excuse me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's to the scriptures and to the fellowship. That's to the gathering together. We're going to talk about that in a minute. To the breaking of bread. That's what we do here in the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. And so these are the same things that we must devote ourselves to. To the prayer and to the reading of God's Word. Before we can get to Pentecost-like power, we have to make sure that these things have sunk in. I read a story once that really caught my attention. It was about these two churches that they had decided to merge together. And usually when you think of a church merger, it's because both churches are, are struggling in some ways or another. They're just trying to survive. But this was a very different situation. These two churches were both healthy, vibrant, strong congregations, but they decided they could be uh, used by God better if they were together than they could if they were apart. Now one ch- and the reason was because one church was almost all white and one church was almost all all African-American. And they felt that if they were a multiracial, multi-ethnic congregation, that they could be more effective for the kingdom of God. And so they joined together, and one congregation was ready to go. I mean, they were, re- they were like, come on now, let's hit the road running. Let's get out there and evangelize and uh, win the lost and serve the community and minister to the poor. And the other church was like, no, 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 hang on. Let's go slow. Let's not do anything too fast. And the church that was chomping at the bit was getting so frustrated with the other congregation. And here's what uh, one of the congregants said. They seem to be moving too slowly, at least for us. We were ready to get busy, to do and to act, but they were not. They suggested that we needed to spend time together in prayer and in the study of the Scriptures. They suggested that we needed to Wait on the Spirit. Only later, this, this story is so perfect for the, today's sermon. Only later did they recognize that our new partners were inviting us into the kind of waiting that preceded the day of Pentecost, which is a waiting that, char- that is characterized by prayer and the study of Scripture. It was born of the understanding that whatever we eventually undertook in ministry needed to be led and empowered by the Spirit. You see, I think this is God's Word for us today. That if we are to be effective as a church, if we are to be to experience God's presence and His power like we all long to do. I mean, we, we, if we didn't long to receive that, we wouldn't be here, right? If this is what we long to, for, to be led and empowered by the Spirit, then first of all, we must check ourselves and say, 
Are we devoted to prayer? Are we devoted to the reading of God's Word? Okay, the next point that I want to make about active uh, waiting is that these activities are always done together in community. These act- now, I know prayer, obviously prayer can be done alone. Jesus did it and he taught us to do it. Uh, you know, I think, obviously, I believe there is a place for personal, private devotions. But what we are talking about here this morning cannot simply be done alone. You see, American religion loves to privatize and individualize one's faith. But that is not the way of the early church as we see in the book of Acts. No, they are together with one another in community. The phrase that Luke uses here... Um, this is a verse, I think it's verse 16. Let me double-check that. Um, um, what verse is this? What's the, help me out here. What's the verse where it says they are all together in one accord? 14. Okay, thank you. Yes, they are all together with one accord. With one accord. Uh, That is a phrase that Luke loves. He uses it five times. And it cannot be overemphasized that we must be a church that prays and looks at Scripture together in one accord. Okay, so let's summarize where we're at so far, and then we are going to get some application here. So to summarize, it is when we wait upon the Lord that God is forming character in us that is priceless to Him. Active waiting is what we do when we seek to let God be in control. There are two foundational activities for active waiting, prayer and the reading of the Scriptures, and these activities must be done together in community. In all of, and in all of these things, we see that the early church learns to trust in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is the belief that God is in control, in all, uh, in control of all things. And they learn to trust that God is in control of all things. There is no place better that illustrates this, their trust in the sovereignty of God, in how they actually end up choosing Matthias to be the next apostle. I've oftentimes thought it was weird how they actually arrived at this situation. You know what they do? They cast lots. The modern day equivalent of casting lots is throwing dice. That's literally what it is. And so they gather together and they say, okay, evens it's Joseph, odds it's Matthias. They throw them, odds, Matthias, you're the man. And I thought, that is such a strange way to do it. But you know what I think it's motivated by? It's motivated by such a a deep trust in the sovereignty of God that God even has control of things like throwing the dice and casting lots. Let's head to Vegas. Let's get a bus. All right. No, when we trust in the Lord, God knows. Obviously, that is. we take that as a joke. You know, God actually does know before the dice is thrown. But if our hearts are devoted to Him, man, we can trust Him for all kinds of things. And that is what leads us to pray with passion. 
God, bring healing. You're control, in control of it all. God, bring revival. You're, you're in control of it all. God, bring salvation to this person's life. You're in control of it all. And we pray with passion. And then we also pray with the understanding that I'm going to wait upon the Lord because His timing is always perfect. And so we come before Him and we devote ourselves to Him. We come before Him and we never lose it. These foundational activities, just like the early church, never stopped praying and committing themselves to the reading of God's Word. And this is what is call, uh, God is calling us to do as well. And so that leads us to today's application, to double down on the importance of growth groups and the concert of prayer. And I'm very specific about this because I think that in, in our context This is the best opportunity for us to come together to pray and to look at the Scriptures. And so I'm going to challenge each of you this morning. I would ask that you would make the commitment that if you're not in a growth group, you sign up. All you got to do is check the box on the back of the connection card and I'll help you get plugged in with a group or come and talk to me. Look online. There's all the groups are listed there. But, but we want to help people get involved in growth groups. If you haven't made the commitment to come to the concert of prayer, first Wednesday of every month, 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary, God is calling us to be a church of fervent prayer. So let's come together. Let's join the, uh, together in doing these things. And it is my belief that if we double down on these things, That over time, if we wait upon the Lord, God will continue, even more so than what we've experienced so far. Though we have experienced His power and His presence, we will experience that more and more and more. And that's what we long for, to know the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. To learn to wait upon Him, to trust His sovereignty to seek Him and to open ourselves up to His work in our lives. Let's pray as we prepare before we go to the Lord's Supper. Father God, I thank you for the example of the early church. It's such a simple example. God, such a passage at, all, at first I was tempted to skip over it. But there is so much meaning for us here right in this passage. To learn to trust that you are in control, that you are sovereign over all things. God, forgive us when we rely on our own strength, our own understanding. Forgive us when we seek to have our own wisdom. And God, help us to be a church and people and individuals that come before you and we seek your face above all else. God, may we be directed and led by you. We come before you because we know that you are great and we are not and we need you and we thank you that you love us so much. And we pray that even as we gather around the Lord's Supper now, Lord's table, and we take this little cracker and this little cup of juice, 
we pray that you would impress upon us once again how much you love us, how much you want to be in our lives. And we pray that you would draw us to yourself. God, help us to draw very near to you. We thank you that you have taken the first step, that you have died on the cross, that you've sent your spirit. And so God, draw us to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite the other.